Hello and welcome to another episode of Wrestling With Memories. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. One man that I know feasted like the three wise men themselves was Fash, the million dollar fan. Fash, how are you doing? I am very well, Wax. Um, and yeah, I did have a good time over this festive period. Um, but I wouldn't say I was the only one that was living the high life. I think you've obviously signed a new contract <laughs> with the World Podcast Federation and that was very visible in your actions. Um, <laughs> but here we are post all of this, similar to yourself, wishing everyone um, really a great lead up to the new year and hope you all had a great Christmas um, festive period. While we're here, Wax, um, a show that we've been building up to for a while, um, certainly if you factor in our, our little hiatus as well, um, a big show, more so for, I guess, all the changes and the, the behind the scenes stuff rather than what was in the ring, but um, very happy and very excited to talk about today's big event. Absolutely, which is Survivor Series 1992. Before we do kick off, though, Fash, obviously, everybody, thank you very much for your support so far on this podcast. We're hoping to ramp up the episodes of the next few well, hopefully get a lot of content out. We're trying to now meet the 30-year timeline almost. 30 years ago, this event happened, and hopefully we'll follow that over the, the coming months as well. Please do like on Twitter and Instagram, subscribe to our pages, subscribe to YouTube, our channel, Wrestling with Memories is very easy. Just search in any search bar. We'll be up there as one of the top listings, no doubt. Uh, a lot of really good content. And if you want to find out what's happening in the run-up to Survivor Season 92, check out our channel. But the show itself, Ash, 30 years ago almost, um, you know, not really a typical Survivor Series um, from what we were used to at this point. Yeah, and like you said, we really, if you go back to our episode 29, I think, it really starts the wheels in motion in terms of all the changes that have happened up to this show. So we've covered everything, the debuts, the departures. We look at the Warrior, we look at the British Bulldog, we look at the Mountie. Last episode, we looked at the, the perfect face turn. It's all leading to this event on November 25th, 1992 in the Richfield Coliseum. Interestingly, Wax, um, the 1987 and 1988 versions of Survivor Series, so the first two took place in this arena as well and I see a lot of issues going into this which we'll get into um, a lot of changes to the card so obviously the main event changed from what was supposed to be the Ultimate Maniacs versus Flair and Razor Ramon, Warriors gone, Perfects in um, at one point the Mountie was supposed to challenge the British Bulldog for the Intercontinental Championship, they're both gone Shawn Michaels is now the Intercontinental Champion he will take on Bret Hart, who is the world champion. So it's champion versus champion, but only the WWF title is on the line. And then there's lots of other things going on as well. But um, I don't know. I remember this event really vividly because, you know, we've talked about in the past, WrestleMania 8, SummerSlam yep. 1982. But this is one that I actually remember the most over this period. It was um, one of my friends. Um, he recorded this event. It wasn't you on this occasion. And he brought it over to my house and we watched it, I think, a couple of nights after the event, mm -hmm. um, you know, with some food. So I do remember this kind of from start to finish. Um, and I guess in terms of the event itself, going into it, what did you think about the card in general? Um, well, I think it was, we were all a little bit disappointed not having, um, you know, the Ultimate Warrior on the card. Uh, maybe I, I'm not even sure we, we realized the affiliate extent of why, but we discussed obviously in our previous podcast. But I think not having the Ultimate Warrior, who's probably the biggest 
character wrestler of that year, you know, post Hulk Hogan, uh, was disappointing. But for me, as a Bret Hart diehard fan, it was awesome to see Bret Hart main eventing for, uh, <clears throat> you know, the first team as a world champion and one of the big four events. One of the really interesting things, Fashy, about this era of WWF was they always used to have these lead-up shows to the big events. And in this particular case, the Survivor Series Survivor Series showdown event, um, which I think only ran a couple of years. But any thoughts on, on that particular event or this approach to, to, to the, doing these big events? Yes, we. I'm not sure. You might recall if you used to get these events on Sky. I hadn't seen it at the time. I've seen it later on on the WWF Network. Or WWE Network, and of course, this one um came under the radar um you know a couple of years ago um because they put on the actual show on the network, but also bonus footage, um and I see these shows are really a final kind of hype show leading into a pay per view. If you look at the card for this show, it wasn't a great card. It was more about just kind of sending that message of you know big pay per views coming up. Um, it took place on the twenty second of November, so, you know, three days before. But the interesting thing about this show was that it was patched together, just like this pay-per-view. So the actual matches were recorded on the 26th of October. Um, this date is very important. We have covered it in our archives because a number of happenings happened there and then translated to you later on. Um, I think the interesting thing is more what we didn't see on, on the event. So in terms of kind of broad stuff that happens here, Vince McMahon has a sit-down interview with Bret Hart really try to push him as you know the new face of the company you see marty Jannetty having a match on this i think against the brooklyn brawler um earthquake earthquake takes on um irs and you know there's a few other segments one which is member was the undertaker um, and yep. building kamala's coffin but there's not a lot there that's interesting what they're really trying to bring into this show is that big change that people might still not be aware of if you've not watched primetime wrestling Saturday night's main event and that is the fact that the Warriors gone Mr. Perfect yep. and they've got a couple of interviews spliced in here um, to really convey that the other thing which is interesting Wax they have a rerun of um, Shawn Michaels match with the British Bulldog yep. on this with Shawn actually commentating so they've recorded this after the reason I'm saying all of this stuff uh, you know there's a green screen which is very obvious when you watch this show um, the stuff that we didn't get to see was the debut of uh, Jimmy Garvin in the WWF. Now, this is a one-and-done deal, and I think if you watch his segment where he comes out as a kind of heel announcer, Mean Gene's interviewing him, he was terrible on the mic. Yep. But he's talking about the Ultimate Maniacs, he's talking about the, the card that it was supposed to be. We don't ever see him on TV, so this is one of the, the kind of bonus footage which I would um, encourage anyone to go and see if they haven't. There's uh, a couple of dark matches. There's um, Razor Ramon and the Macho Man. Um, there is the Ultimate Warrior versus Nails, which is very quick. Yep. The Warrior wins that. Um, Nails actually pulling double duty here. Um, he also has a match with the Big Boss Man, which Nails actually wins after a nightstick shot. Um, and we'll talk about the actual match of Survivor Series and why the outcome maybe was what it was. And Bret Hart's on double duty as well in these dark matches. He beats the Mountie in a minute. This is something we've covered in the archives, and this is the Mountie's last appearance, and he also defeats Papa Shango, who really has no value in the company right now. So it's interesting more, you know, it was a lead-up show. They can't show us a bunch of stuff yep. because of the changes. They've spliced some other stuff in. I've watched it recently again. It's pretty lackluster, um, but they really had their hands tied behind their back at this point. 
Absolutely. Let's move on to the show itself, Ash. As you mentioned, in the Richfield Coliseum in Ohio, 1992. We've got Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan opening up the show. Uh, I think a tried and tested duo by this point, and I think it really played into the event as a whole because Bobby Heenan was involved in this feud with Mr. Perfect alongside Ric Flair and and Razor Ramon. So his commentary throughout uh, his focus throughout the show is very much on Mr. Perfect and you know the that particular match. So I thought it was an enjoyable combination for me throughout the whole event. See, I liked them as a combination. Um, what was interesting for me though was this was the second pay per view in a row here where it was both of them because they did SummerSlam. I remember at the time thinking, why is Gorilla Monsoon not the main play by play guy here? He obviously was at the Royal Rumble, he was at WrestleMania, he's going to come back for the next Royal Rumble. So I think they were still kind of. I guess umming and ahhing over who's the lead announcer for these pay-per-view events. But yep. I enjoyed this combination. It's not as fun as the the Grill Monsoon Bobby Heenan combination. No. But obviously Vince is probably trying to really deliver some key messages and maybe that's why he's the one taking the lead here. Yeah. Uh, a quick opening match for us, Fash. It's high energy. The team of Coco Beware and Owen Hart, both legendary performers in my eyes, against the head shrinkers. I actually thought this was a really good start to the to the show. It was quite a fast paced start from High Energy, uh, you know, going by their name. Um, but in the end, obviously, High Energy come up a little bit short. I thought Owen Hart looked an absolute star in this match. Yeah, I think um, well, Coco Beware being a legend, that's debatable. But you know, I guess it depends what your definition of a legend is. Um, this was all about a showcase for the head shrinkers, wasn't it? We've mm. covered them, their debut, and you know all the the changes that took place there after the initial um, appearance. They haven't really been promoting this match on television leading up to this. So no. it's, it's your classic kind of opener. Um, yeah, Owen was good. Um, I think really the formula of this match and it's similar to other tag team matches. We saw in this era, and indeed a little bit like the main event, you've got Owen kind of starting things off, takes a bit of a beating, Coco Beware, makes the hot tag. Then eventually he then tags in Owen, Owen with a couple of drop kicks, I think, from the top rope, but then goes for another one, gets caught by Samu, and then you remember the classic finisher of the head shrinkers with Fatu and Samu's shoulders and kind of the big splash. Yep. That gets the victory. For me, though, what I remember of this time, it's going back to say, I remember seeing this event was actually AFA eating that big. <laughs> I, knew was going to, I knew you were going to mention that. Yeah, chicken <laughs> leg. I remember this at the time. And I remember somebody in the room um, in uh, the language of Punjabi saying the sweary word um, is eating, <laughs> eating a chicken. And that's the only impression that was made on that bystander. Well, so for me, it was all about that. Um, than the actual match. And the other thing that I'd note here was the brain scan. Yeah. Bobby Heenan's. We've uh, seen this a couple of times. Yeah. I'm drawing funny pictures on the screen, Um, you know, relating to the match. I thought it was hilarious. I think Bobby Heenan's just great commentary, yeah, isn't it, all he, the way through. Especially go back and look at it, he was just a genius. Um, I guess the other thing that I would note for this match, I say it's all about showcasing the head shrinkers. Owen Hart's had quite a odd year in 1992 so he starts off the year part of the new foundation and will get sacked and he's then having a singles match at Wrestlemania 8 Um, then he's in this tag team high energy not really doing much and then they lose this match at Survivor Series so he just seems a little bit you know out of you know I guess recognition um, and yeah. I think much from Tabin Kobe where I guess he looks like he's on his last legs here as well you know he's kind of been through his period 
Coco's been around for a while. Owen Hart, I mean, to be fair, he's just in the business, really, uh, or just in the WWF at that point, although he'd been in the business for a very long time. Well, he'd been in the, remember, he was the Blue Blazer back in the day, but yeah, you're yeah. right. I guess they're, they're playing the fact that he is Brett's brother, but not too much. Yeah. But we'll see him really come into his yeah. own, uh, in, you know, in, the, in the coming months. But yeah, I think it was a fair opener, kind of high energy, uh, pun intended, uh, opener, but really very short, about seven yeah. minutes yeah. or so. Yeah. Uh, but it got across the key message, which was, you know, the head shrinkers are serious uh, contenders. One of the, the the big stories that were running up to Survivor Season 92 was obviously our next match, uh, all between the big boss man and Nails. We covered Nails' uh, introduction to the WWF in a fair amount of detail, so please do check out the archives. Um, you know, prior to the actual match happening, you've got uh, a couple of promos, one from Nails, um, who I thought was very believable as an innocent uh, bystander to whatever accusation Big Boss Man has, a, has put on him and put him behind bars. So, you know, free nails is all I got to say on that. Uh, and then the Boss Man with his uh, with standard promo uh, with a nightstick in hand. Uh, and this is a very special type of match, Fash. It's a nightstick on a pole match and Vince Russo is nowhere to be seen, okay? <laughs> so he was not the guy that started the something on a pole. I say I love the promo from nails because he's just, you know, comes across so believable. I think it's like the Bruce Pritchard thing when the bell rings, the problem starts, but he's so, so good here. And yeah, to your point, you know, Bossman entered this, if we're looking at kayfabe, this company as a bad guy mm-hmm. back in 1988. Um, so why wouldn't Nails be an innocent man? I think Nails was the actual babyface here, but nobody got to see, you know, we never really, I think the Bossman was the bad guy here, but yeah, Bossman cuts a promo with Mean Gene as well. Interestingly, this version on the WWF network that we're watching um, is cut down version. Yep. There's also a Coliseum home video, Silver Vision, you remember that as a UK person, um, version of it where they have other interviews and segments as well. So I think there's another segment with the boss man, Lord Alfred Hayes, where he pretty much says the same stuff. But yeah, this is an interesting match. I mean, leading into this, this was one of the ones I remember we were excited about because you just didn't know what you were going to see. And they had built up this feud, a true blood feud so well. Yeah, it was actually been running since well before SummerSlam. It's probably several months worth yeah. of feud. Um, and you know, you see it shortened match uh, on this version. Probably a good thing, I think, for most people. It was pretty much just a, a brawl, uh, punches being thrown. That was pretty much all that was happening for the majority of the match until uh, the boss match that gets the the nightstick, but doesn't do any damage with it, and Neil's gets a hold of it. Uh, but mercifully, it was a, a fairly quick match with a quick finish. Um, and I think crowd actually crowd were really on fire for for the finish for this because they really wanted to see the boss man pay back Nails. Yeah, and, and to your point, they say Nails has the next seat doesn't do much damage, and then ultimately the boss man hits the boss man. Sam gets a quick pin. Um, what I liked going into this though was just the, the believability because even when the match begins, boss man doesn't wait for his music to start. He yep. finishes his promo, he sees Nails is coming out, and they do this kind of split screen, which is a little bit different for the team, and he just runs to the ring, and, and they start fighting one another, which adds to the fact that this is not a wrestling match, it's a fight. Um, Yeah, I mean, Nails didn't really do much as a character, it was a lot of choking <laughs> more than anything else. Um, But they finish Wax, I think this was the wrong outcome. I mean, in hindsight, it wasn't, because we'll talk about what happened to Nails after this, but um, I said leading into this, in the, that dark match, Nails did defeat the boss man. And I have a feeling that he may have won this match as well if it wasn't for all the other changes mm-hmm. that took place. I know recently in Bruce Pritchard's podcast, he's mentioned maybe it was about the, you know, the crowd going home happy, at least with some outcomes. Yeah. 
and that was it. Now you may say, well, this is the boss man's type of match. You should win. Well, they're not going to do much with the boss man uh, over the next few months. And what's odd about this is before this feud is finished, they've already kicked off another feud, the Undertaker and Nails, which we've mentioned in yep. the archives as well, because on the 24th October episode of Superstars, they have that great face-off. Interestingly, that face-off then appears in the January 1993 WWF magazine, uh, which won't work out when we, we discuss what happens after this event. Um, but I just feel that because they were setting him up against The Undertaker, there was also some promos with The Warrior and some matches going on. That is a very odd outcome. Um, but maybe you need to factor in everything else that happened. But yeah, I think, that, I think that this feud could definitely have gone a couple of more rounds. You know, uh, Neil's obviously defeated here, could have picked up a win and then gone to a yeah. decider maybe later that's on. That's what was going to happen. I don't even think they were going that far. I think mm. I think at this point it was going to be Neil's Undertaker, if you read anything as well, maybe going into WrestleMania. Yeah. And, and you know, the gravest challenge between them. I think we could have had a lot of fun, but we'll talk about that another time. But for me, you know, the match was more about the spectacle. Um, well, and just a, just a point on the spectacle. This wasn't the only uh, something on a pole match in this particular period. There was actually a WCW coal miners glove on a pole match oh, a couple yeah, of months, yeah, yeah. Of a month before actually, um, just at Halloween Havoc with between Jake Roberts and Sting. So I wonder if somebody got the idea from watching that event about putting something. Um, well, I mean, if you would have watched that match, you probably would. <laughs> avoided it yes from it, yeah but that's a good point um that, yeah. that was something and i think it like say it worked for this yeah um, one thing i should probably note here right and we've not touched upon is this survivor series format is very different to anything yeah. else we've seen up to this point um it's not teams of four teams of five barring one match and um, now 1991 survivor series which we've also reviewed in the archives that had a mix of the traditional matches and yeah. if you you know they had a singles match you had a six-man tag here they've just Throwing away the formula, barring one match, which was really odd, and it's more about kind of blood feuds. Um, before we go into the next bit, what did you think about that? Formula? I didn't like that. I didn't yeah, like it either. I didn't like it. Either. I was a big fan of the four v four, five v five match, or sometimes eight v eight or ten v ten, which they had in the tag team division. I actually really enjoyed that format, and it was something very different to the other shows. And I was a bit disappointed that they went away from that here. Uh, they kind of go back and forth with it for the next few years, but really, it kind of stuck with mostly single matches and then the, the big main event. Something along those lines. Yeah, and I think maybe they didn't feel it works at the end of this because next year, as you say, we're back to the traditional one, but it's one that they've, I guess, continually kind of flip-flopped on. But I mean, at the time, I don't recall liking it. And even today watching it, I was kind of working out what could I have done if it was four or yeah. four matches. But then it also points maybe to the roster is so thin yeah. right now. That maybe yeah. You can do it. Anyway, the next, I think we moved to a segment, um, which is the backstage interview. Um, yeah, I mean, Flair and Mean Gene, and it's covering the same kind of stuff that yeah. they've done. I think it's just really demonstrating to the audience again. If you've not watched the stuff leading up to this, yeah. we're really annoyed with Mr. Perfect. Yeah, uh, Gene certainly earns his money on this event, doesn't he, with the, the multiple promos. Uh, the next match is one feud that seems to have been going on for some time as well Tatanka versus Rick Martell. I know you're not a big fan of either uh, at this point in their careers, potentially. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this match was Doink's appearance. Um, it was not a, a great match pretty boring uh, they kept everything on the mat really slow sluggish uh, but Tanga did pick up the clean win to sort of put him over um, and cement him yeah. his sort I of mean, future no, at that point actually probably the most I liked Tatanka because this was in the kind of undefeated streak um, period but I just didn't see the point of this match wax. they've yeah. already fought Wrestlemania 8 Tatanka won that this is all built upon Rick Martel stealing Tatanka's eagle feathers which are yep. sacred to him 
and they have a match point. There's nothing is like they're not really doing what should Martel to tank is obviously being pushed, but I would have preferred at this point if he was taking on a new opponent. Yeah. And really taking it rather than, you know, a rehash and similar to you, I thought Doink in the aisle doing his tricks and then, you know, bursting balloons, etc., was way more entertaining than the match. Uh, Tanka does win, he reclaims his yep. feathers. Um, something you don't see on the network version. I think there is a, a kind of post match interview with their um his lordship. Um, where Tatanka, you know, they happy to get those feathers yeah. back. But yeah, it was a nothing match. Um, I don't, I didn't see a, a need to kind of reignite this feud after you know they'd taken each other on earlier in the year. Yep. Uh, up next, we have a, a a promo with the opponents of Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. It's obviously the perfect duo of Mister Perfect and Macho Man. Uh, one thing I was going to note here: I think Mister Perfect's promos are very underrated. I think he's actually tremendous on the mic. I don't know if you agree, but I think people talk about Flair a lot. You know, I think Mister Perfect was just as good. No, I think he's great. I, I think you do think more of Mister Perfect of the kind of stunts he pulled, yeah, the kind of perfect stunts and things. Um, and as a cocky heel, he's great. It was a little bit odd seeing him as a babyface and playing that dynamic. But I, to your point, I think he was perfect in this role. Pun intended yep. again because it's Ric Flair on the other side of Razor Moon. This is a great angle that he's continuing. So I did think he was excellent here. And you know, there's a little bit of tension with the macho man. You know, it's perfect really on his side. But I think the whole dynamic made this work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think when you think of Mr. Perfect, you don't always think about the promos, as you say. Yeah. But you know, his first one as a, a color commentator was yep. good. Maybe the second one wasn't as good. Um, and you know, being Ric Flair's mouthpiece was brilliant. But yeah, I think he is vastly underrated when it comes to, you know, somebody speaking on the mic um, and playing that character. You know, what do you think, Wax, about going into this match? You, you know, Razor Ramon, we've talked about this super push. You got people forget this coming into the company. Um, did you think he was ready for this? Does it still feel odd looking back there years ago that this guy who kind of debuted after SummerSlam was now main eventing in one of the big shows? Yeah, I think he, he had the look, didn't he? And they really pushed his character. The fact that he got involved with Macho Man losing the title made it seem important that he was part of the, the act. And, you know, if they had to split up Mr. Perfect and Flair, I think they did it pretty well by adding Razor Ramon into the mix. I mean, I thought he belonged pretty quickly. They pushed him as a big guy. He belonged. I think if you would watch WCW at this mm -hmm. point, you would have been like, what's the Diamond Star doing in the, yeah. the WWF main event? But I, at the time, hadn't. Seen the diamond, you still didn't know the history yep. of Scott Hall, but it was still odd to me at him seeing this new guy suddenly can propelled into this position. But the characters together work, and I thought yep. he was say, great in the promos. He showed the real anger of what had taken place. Um, and yeah, that kind of dynamic with Macho Man was working really nicely. What did you think of the match itself and the kind of story they were trying to tell? I've certainly got views on it, but keen to hear any any yeah no i i enjoyed the match i thought it was a very solid match you know three three and a half stars from me i think they played and no i don't think so i think it's four pretty good workers in the ring telling a story you know of macho man getting really taking a lot of the punishment mr perfect on a couple of occasions really thinks what's the point or you know have i got in over my head in this one and you know he's walking down the ramp a couple of times you know as if he's gonna does it once and do your Piers Morgan and I think he does it once during the match he does it once but there's there's multiple moments where he's looking like you know he's he's either had enough or you know what am I doing here sort of thing um or he just feels like giving up and then when he does walk halfway down the aisle that's when the sort of fans really sort of come together and cheer and he hears them and then he comes back and 
you know, shortly after Matchman gets the hot tag to him. Um, I thought the match was well put together. I didn't like the finish necessarily, but I understand yeah. why they did it to protect everybody involved um, and just take this feud forward. Um, I don't know. I mean, you obviously didn't like it. No, no, I liked the match. I, I, three and a half. I mean, I was, you know, kind of ratings are always subjective. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, if you're doing a five scale, I'd probably give it a three rather than three and a half. I know it's being uh, pedantic, but I'll tell you what I felt was interesting here. My, uh, obviously, Mr. Perfect was not prepared for this. This wasn't yep. supposed to happen. So I think he's great for what he does. But yeah, they do protect him. He probably doesn't look in peak condition here, right? Yeah. Uh, got a bit of a pot belly like the wax. Um, <laughs> but he comes out and he's going to get into shape soon. But I think, yeah, the, the, the play was make Perfect look great. So, you know, I love the kind of beginning with Razor Ramon. Yeah. Uh, wrestles him with uh, Ric Flair as well. And then, as you say, Macho Man's playing that face in peril. And then eventually getting the hot tag again, and you see Perfect doing the perfect plex on Ramon. You see yep. him doing the perfect plex on Flair. Um, there's a ref bump, two referees in the ring, and then you get chaos. Um, and it's a, it's a you know victory to the perfect team by disqualification. I just felt that yeah, the ending was a little bit flat. Yeah. Um, but then to your point, they're trying to protect everyone, but they didn't really carry things forward, and we'll get to that in our next episode <laughs> certainly with the matchman they didn't yeah. um, there always seems to be a reason why these things never sort of carry on uh, and I yeah. think they're very hampered in that storyline from that storyline yeah. perspective yeah because obviously Flair and Perfect will continue Ramon and Savage won't but it's interesting yeah. in an interview I think back in 2015 Razor Ramon spoke about what he believed was meant to happen here mm-hmm. and he was actually not happy that the Warrior left because to his claim um, he said what was supposed to happen in the match was he was supposed to essentially break uh, Macho Man's leg. And okay. that would be it. And that would explain the larger transition into the commentary role. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, obviously, this whole knee thing with the Macho Man they've been playing since SummerSlam, yep. it's the reason he loses the title. Yep. If you watch a dark match between Razor Ramona and Macho Man, he's also going for the leg. So they kind of play this throughout. So I can believe that that might have been the transition. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that puts extra heat on Razor Ramon, but maybe the outcome would still be, you know, ultimate main next winning by DQ. Now, Bruce Pitcher has said he doesn't recall that, but then he doesn't recall a lot of stuff, right? And I, I think, you know, there's some probably um, truth to what Razor was saying. It would make sense in the context of the storyline that yeah. we're towards. And obviously, Macho Man is going to still compete, but it's not going to be the same. Um, so, yeah, I think it was fine. They protected everyone. Matt, it was a great return for Mr. Perfect. Yeah, which is for him, and they really, as you said, a mid carder that everybody loved, but they did elevate him to say, Look, this yeah. guy is on par with all the main eventers, so yeah. I think they achieved that mission up to this point. It was the best match, I would say, of, of the card. But <laughs> did it have the same level? He the crowd was super hot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it did. It would have been Warrior and Savage, it's probably still the eight year old me, but yeah, that match had taken place just for the you know the, the crowd reaction and the yeah. Crowd up to this spot, you know. Well, well, let me give you let me give you an alternative finish to this match, Fash, which kind of happens later on in the career of Ric Flair uh, and Mister Perfect. What if this was a ruse all along, and Mister Perfect was still on Flair's side, and instead of obviously helping Macho Man, you know, as you say, breaks his leg or breaks his knee, whatever, and in comes for the save, Hulk Hogan. That would have been tremendous. That would have won, and I think you know at the time because. You- the people only had a you know a handful of days yep. to really know what happened in terms of the change that 
a lot of people in that crowd probably still would have been confused yeah what's going on um and to your point when perfect walks out i think there would have been a lot of people still thinking oh is this where somebody else comes yeah perfect's played his part but yeah i mean if that would have happened wax um <laughs> it would, would have had to be a main event blow, wouldn't it that yeah. would have blown off yeah the building and yeah i see that would have been the last match but then it probably would have had an impact on our our, our current WWF <laughs> champion. Indeed, Hulkster will have an impact on him several months down yeah. the line. But that would have been awesome. But I guess you know, perfect. Um, they're going to play the babyface role, and if you do that, you probably don't you know get the kind of exchanges in the beginning between yeah. him and, and the villains. But yeah, that would have been a great alternative if they were going to keep you know this this unit together. So I'll give you that one. Let's move on to what happens next. Obviously, we've got a couple of promos with Gene, with Flair and Ramon, who are very They're unhappy happy. with the result. A tremendous Flair. I think when Flair is angry, he's he's like it's, it's as good as anybody uh, on the mic. Uh, I think Flair's very underrated in this. Yeah. You know, we talk about the run. People just talk about Royal Rumble 1992, yep. and we've talked about how Vince wasn't really happy with him. It doesn't really work this run. But I think, you know, his promos were great. And setting yeah. this whole perfect warrior thing, I think he was, you know excellent yeah and yeah certainly the outrage they show at the end of this is brilliant uh, with razor with the kind of more seething anger right? and, and rick flair being you know amplified to 100 yeah. 